InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. The decision by a police officer to use deadly force is often made in a split second. But the aftermath of a police shooting can last a lifetime. With this story, here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Lance LaRusso. He's an attorney, a former law enforcement officer, and author of the book, When Cops Kill. So, Lance, what are the statistics? Are there more police shootings today, or is it just that there's more media attention on them? I think the media pays more attention to them, but I do know that we are having law enforcement face a more violent criminal than they have been in the past. There's absolutely no doubt that release from prisons and also things like parole being given and probation being given for violent offenders has increased the level of violence towards officers in the United States. Most of what a civilian knows about this topic is probably what he's seen on a TV drama, but when a police officer shoots someone, the investigation process is quite a bit different than in a normal civilian shooting, right? That's absolutely true, and it's very extensive as well. The law enforcement officer shooting essentially is going to undergo three areas of investigation, and normally they are completely separate. They're done by different investigators, and they are coming to their conclusions separate and apart from each other. One is an administrative investigation that's done by the agency. Did the officer follow policy? Was the officer properly trained? Did the officer use their training? Was the officer's equipment sufficient to do the job for which it was purchased? That investigation runs parallel to a criminal investigation. We use an officer-involved shooting where somebody's killed. That's a homicide investigation. It is up to the officer to prove the justification under the law for the use of deadly force. Now, that would be the same with a civilian. Civilians and law enforcement for the use of deadly force differ under very, very narrow circumstances. So the officer goes through essentially a full homicide investigation. Once that investigation is done, the district attorney or a grand jury, some sort of prosecutorial arm, would review the criminal investigation and determine whether or not the officer's use of force was justified. And even if they are cleared in the administrative, the criminal, and the prosecutorial investigation, they can still face a civil suit. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. How often are police officers the target of civil suits after a shooting? Quite often. There's no real statistics on it because a lot of the cases are either dropped or dismissed on summary judgment. But it is probably more often the rule. I would imagine it's better than 75 to 80 percent when an officer uses deadly force, especially if it results in the death of an individual, that a civil suit of some type will be commenced. I think some people might assume that a police officer as a government employee might be somehow immune from liability if they shoot someone. No, they're not. In fact, the immunity comes from the fact that they're performing a government function. And in most environments, whether it's in state or federal court, there is some immunity afforded to them, just like it's afforded to any other government actor who may make a mistake. A lot of times the mistake is in the context of whether or not they are using their discretion. And discretionary acts by public officials, all public officials, usually affords them some level of immunity because we want people to serve in the government. If you make a mistake, an error on a tax contemplation for a tax assessor in a big county, that could result in you know hundreds of millions of dollars lost. But we want people to step up and serve in the government. So that type of immunity is the same. But if there is actually a situation where an officer is sued individually and they get past the immunity phase where there's a summary judgment filed and the case goes to court, most of the time those officers do not have any pool of money to protect them or and very, very few of them have insurance that will protect them. 
Is that possible for them to get insurance like that? It is. It's extremely expensive, and it's very rare that the policies are issued. There are just a few companies that do it. Most of the time, they're going to be covered under the policy for the agency, but I'm currently defending a case where the insurance company for the agency is not defending the officer because the agency was not sued. They were working a part-time job. So it's a real big risk for them civilly when they go out there and do their jobs. Our guest on InfoTrack is Lance LaRusso. He's an attorney, a former law enforcement officer, and the author of a book called When Cops Kill, and we're discussing police shootings and some of the issues surrounding that. Lance, you write about the similarities between a car crash and a shooting. Talk about that because it's pretty interesting. A critical incident is a critical incident. It's defined as a situation where the officer has been placed in some sort of an extreme circumstance and they have been subjected to extreme stress in a short period of time. A car crash could be the same thing. When you have officers that are driving 20, 30,000 miles a year in a patrol car, they're much more likely to get into a wreck even if they're not at fault. As a matter of fact, they're much more exposed to DUI drivers. I've represented several officers who were injured by DUI drivers driving on the wrong side of the road at 10 to 6 in the morning. So the analogy to the car wreck is the fact that you're going from a situation of zero stress just driving down the road to a maximum stress and an injury sometimes, and that's very similar to a police officer that gets involved in a shooting. And I'm sure in many cases that would affect their ability to recall the details of exactly what happened. It does. It's a really interesting point. The similarity that civilians will know, if you've ever been driving down the road and you hit the brakes and avoid a wreck, and a couple of seconds later you say, my God, what just happened? That's very similar to the adrenaline dump that officers get into their systems when they're involved in a high-stress situation like a shooting. And it does affect the ability of the officer to recall for a certain period of time afterwards. There's been a great deal of research that the officer's ability to recall exactly what was said, exactly how many shots they fired, where they were standing, those details are not really available to the officer to process until about 24 to 48 hours after the event because of the extreme stress response. So do you believe that police officers in general receive enough training on when to use their weapons and perhaps what to do in the aftermath? Absolutely, to the first part. We train officers extremely well in this country. We have extensive training, and you can probably pull a sampling of officers from everything from the biggest city to the smallest community, and they will generally have the same level of training and the same type of training because the rules are the same for the use of deadly force. They're set by the United States Supreme Court, they're set by case law, and they're set first and foremost by the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution. What we don't prepare them for very well, and some of it is just a matter of time, the amount of time that you have in the police academy to get these folks ready to go on the street, is what happens after they've used deadly force. When Cops Kill was all about educating them as to what they can expect, those three investigations that I discussed, what they can expect from a lawyer who represents them in a civil suit, what if the city that you work for provides a lawyer, do they represent you or do they represent the city? And then another part of it that I think we have not been able to educate officers well on comes from the interviews. I interviewed officers who had used deadly force. I interviewed officers who had been shot in the line of duty, family members who have gotten the phone call that they dreaded. And how does that affect you 15, 20 years down the road? I interviewed an officer who used deadly force completely appropriately, 100% morally and legally justified. He shot and killed someone who had shot and killed two police officers and wounded a third. Fifteen years later, I was interviewing him, and he still had to stop the interview a few times because he was so emotional about it. He had taken a life.
a few years ago, the FBI did a study and said that about 70%, 70% of officers who use deadly force and take a life in the course of their duties leave law enforcement within five years. That was about 10 years ago, and that sparked a lot of people to wake up and pay attention and say, you know, not only is this a person that we owe the opportunity to get them back on their feet, but what a tremendous drain of resources. This is someone that we've trained, someone we've put time into, and obviously an experienced officer is worth a great deal to a community, and I think that's one of the reasons why some of those training classes, the de-stress programs, the crisis intervention, the Fraternal Order of Police has an excellent crisis intervention program that they teach all over the United States just for those situations. And I think we're making a lot of progress in that regard. Lance LaRusso, attorney, former law enforcement officer, and the author of the book, When Cops Kill. Lance, do you have a website where people can learn more? We do, and I'd remind people that all of the profits go to law enforcement charities from this book, whencopskill.com. And we look forward to uh, having people read the book and let us know what they think. Well, thanks again for joining us on InfoTrack. Thanks for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. A production of Syndication Networks of Chicago.